Well, good morning. My name is Casey Cease. I have the joy of serving as the pastor of preaching and vision here at Christ Community Church. And so we're launching a new series this morning for Advent called God With Us. I don't know about you, but typically Christmas season is a season where I don't feel closer to the Lord, but pulled farther away, typically. And that may not be your case, so forgive me. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't warm memories of growing up or um, the Miracle on 34th Street moments or It's a Wonderful Life or Elf or The Grinch Who Stole Christmas or Charlie Brown Christmas or Wassel or Eggnog or Eggnog. But the treasure and gift that Christmas brings is that God is with us. And it's easy to miss that. And it's easy to forget that. And it's easy not to treasure that because we're content with lesser things. Oftentimes, my counseling load increases substantially during December and January in marriage. Oftentimes, there's more need for benevolence, not because of hard things happening, but people overextend themselves. And I think part of the why behind those things is because we miss the who. And the why behind Jesus coming incarnate in the flesh is extremely important. And the more that we dig into that, the more we are enabled and empowered to find the great joy that we were intended to have in God himself. And so this series, God With Us, isn't just some obligatory Christmas series. In fact, up until early this week or end of last week, I was going to continue preaching through Mark 14. If you know that, that would have been some hard work because Judas decides to betray Jesus. Jesus confronts Peter on the fact that he will deny him. The Lord's Supper is initiated, but we were going to continue through the Gospel of Mark. But pastorally, and as I've been freed up to be praying more for our, our church and for you and for our community and our culture, the thing that God continued to place on my heart and my soul and my mind for us is a reminder that Emmanuel, God, is with us. God is with us. And so we're going to dig into what it means that Jesus is perfectly, 100% uh, uh, man, human, and he's also 100% divine. We're going to look at how through creation, the fall, redemption, and restored community, Jesus Christ was essential and always the plan. We're going to see that the humanity of Jesus was necessary for the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to see next week how the divinity of Jesus was so important to maintain the purity of Jesus so that he might become a perfect sacrifice. And on the third week, we're going to talk about the redemption, the restoration, the rescue of King Jesus. And on week four, we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve morning, we're going to celebrate the fact that through the perfect human, perfect God, perfect sacrifice, perfect restoration happens in relationship with God, which then gives us hope to have perfect relationship or increasingly more restored relationship with each other. That then as we are becoming more whole in Christ and more like Christ, we're then liberated to go be messengers of this hope to the world around us. The greatest gift of Christmas is God. 
We know that. We know that. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, amen, that's true. Then why am I so stressed? Why do I feel so far from God? Why am I drinking so much, eating so much? Or whatever. And so I hope as we slow down to have some simple moments together of some deeper things explored that we will remember that God is with us and that would restore our joy in him. So I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Yes, we're going to go there. But the main thing I want us to see today is this, that the humanity of Jesus is necessary for the rescue of mankind. His humanity is necessary. There are people who believe and they love to emphasize the divinity of Jesus, the, the God of part of Jesus at the expense of understanding and embracing the full humanity of Jesus. But in actuality, until we understand the humanity of Jesus, we cannot understand the relatability of Jesus. And if we don't understand the relatability of Jesus, then it's hard to understand why Jesus then was an acceptable sacrifice to God. And so we have to understand that the humanity of Jesus is necessary for the rescue of mankind. Let's begin with the very basic. Jesus was involved in creation. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus didn't come up after a, uh, a combined meeting of God with himself saying, what am I going to do to bring rescue to this creation? We see, actually, that God has created and always existed from community, one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In, in Genesis 1-1, we enjoy the fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God, therefore, created all things, then God has control and ownership rights over all things. And since God has ownership rights over all things, he gets to determine how these things go. That very beginning, fundamental and foundational truth will be our anchor as we continue to explore the beauty and divinity of our God. So when we look at the reality that in the beginning, from nothing, out of nothing, word was spoken, and that word made things happen. If you create it, you own it. God is the creator of all things, and therefore God gets to determine how it goes. This ideal, I've been watching news clips and listening to things, and I have to take a break. People arguing over what is true. Let me tell you the number one primary thing that is true, God. So truth begins with God. God doesn't need to become or made true. God is true. Jesus himself says, for I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So the essence of truth begins with God. We don't go create truth and slap it on God. God is true. He's eternally true, lastingly true, forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't vary. And so we see that Jesus was involved in creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the creator, God the owner, God has a right then to dictate how things go, to determine. And he is right in all that he chooses to do. Anything that God does is good because God is good. But we go on in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's actually plural in the Hebrew. It's not a panel of gods, it's one God expressed in three persons. As we'll see in a moment in John chapter 1, that Jesus was involved in that hour. 
that humanity was God's idea to be an illustration, a representative, a shining light onto the nature and person of God. God creating mankind was good. Man and woman were created good. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 2, it was created very good. We made it all the way to the third chapter of the Bible to where that goodness was tarnished because we chose godlessness. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, you see in Genesis chapter 3 that the man and the woman gave in to temptation and ate of a fruit they were forbidden to eat from. And they became very aware that there is God and there is an absence of God, as Brent talked about a few weeks ago. There is good and God, there is evil and godlessness. They became aware because they willingly chose to do so. And so we see humanity falling then outside of the image of God. It's not that we're not, no longer image bearers. We all are connected and combined as unique image bearers of the one true God. But God then began preparing ways for us to be restored, ultimately culminating in the person and work of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, turn with me there if you have your Bible with you. If you don't have your Bible, there's some on the rows. If you don't own a Bible that you like to read, take one of those. They're pretty good to read. But grab a Bible. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We see again this testimony of the presence of Jesus at the creation of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is just a side for you. Amen is right, Maria. There's a side for you. The world might seem down, it might seem dark, it might seem helpless, it might feel hopeless, but the darkness will not, has not, cannot overcome the true light. When Jesus later says in this gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, here it begins in John chapter 1, for he was the life the source of life. If you're not feeling alive, if, you, if you're feeling overcome by life, if you're feeling that your life is in darkness, you need to cling for the source of life, not look for it in other places. Every other place you look for a semblance of life is a created thing. It might give you a feeling of life, but it was never created or intended to give you ultimate life. Jesus himself is life. And as Jesus entered into humanity... He was the Lagos of God, the spoken word of God, creating all things through him. I want to slow down real quick on verse one. The Trinity is hard to explain. I always joke and tell people I'm going to do a series and fully explain the Trinity. I mean, I've seen diagrams, I've tried to press in and figure it out. The reality is, is to fully understand the Trinity is to be in the Trinity. So it's a mystery to be explored and to press into for sure. There are, there are clues throughout Scripture that teaches us of the nature of our God. 
But verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word, the logos was with God and the word, look at this, was God. Didn't become God, didn't, didn't get created as God. When Jesus was born, wasn't the advent of Jesus. Jesus is eternal, has always been, but then he took the step and was willing to enter into the limitation of humanity at the beckoning and call and charge of his dad to be obedient. And he entered into the flesh. Jesus has always been. And so when you, when you hear people argue from other faiths, they're willing to say that Jesus was God's son, but they are not willing to say that he is God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God and Jesus is God's son. The Father's Son. The reality is, and I've shared this statistic before, but I don't have many stats, so I'll share it again. Most people who grew up in church were convinced by the age of 13 they knew all they needed to know about God. And the reason is, is because they were taught by people, by people with the same convictions. That those people teaching them figured out that they knew all they really needed to know about God by the age of 13, and so they just continued to perpetuate and so when things are hard or confusing, we avoid and go away rather than pressing in and seeing what goes. Or we take a posture that we are true and what we feel is true, and therefore we take authority over God's Word and place our feelings and our understanding over truth, and therefore what we determine to be true is actually true rather than submitting under truth itself. The eternal nature of Jesus took on limitation when he became human. Jesus was born on time into a pretty scandalous situation. Not yet married Jewish mom. As we heard in the passage that was read from Matthew chapter 1, when he was born, Joseph was looking for a way out before God intervened through one of his messengers, an angel. He was looking for a way out. He was looking for an exit. He was looking to not cause her harm, but also did not want to engage and give her hope. He was looking for a way to limit his loss and to guard his shame, and God spoke up. And next week, we're going to explore why the virgin birth is necessary for the divinity of God to be fully manifest in the perfect human of God, Jesus It's hard to treasure something you don't know much about. And most of our belief about Jesus is based from a very selfish, me-oriented posture. Most of what we believe about Jesus is we like the benefits of Jesus. We can articulate the way that Jesus benefits us. But what I hope to say, to, to help you with over these next four weeks is that we see him and begin to really treasure him and then hold fast to him and trust him so that we might obey him and really begin to experience life-changing, transformational, eternal, sending hope that's enduring through disappointment, that endures through sickness, that endures through gain and through loss. That we don't just approach Jesus based on the benefit of what he does, but we treasure him for who he indeed is and always has been. But it's important to understand 
the, the, the full nature of his humanity, to appreciate all that he endured. Because it's easy to want to minimize his 30 plus years on earth, to make him a little bit less relatable so that we can distance ourselves and believe we have a God that does not understand. Jesus does illuminate the character of God. Jesus, as a part of God's plan, as a part of the Trinity, has always been. The next thing I want you to see is this, that Jesus willingly embraced his humanity at the limitation of his divinity. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is actually a hymn that the early church would sing. Paul instructing the church of Philippi to have this mind among themselves. Just have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This Jesus, this God, became flesh incarnate. He, he came to be with humanity. And throughout His ministry, He did not count His divinity, His godness, to be something that He would look towards. My daughter Braylon, several years ago, was in the children's ministry and her peers were acting up. And she says, I'm going to tell my dad he's the pastor. And I said, there's no quicker way to make children hate you than to be that kid. So I told her, she said that again, she would be punished, not the little hellion she was in class with. I'm going to tell dad Jesus never once claimed to his deity to avoid the consequences of his humanity. He did that willingly. He was born into an uncomfortable situation, not wealthy. He worked using his hands as a carpenter. He felt anger, he felt sadness. The shortest verse in the English translation of the Bible is Jesus wept. In John 13, 35. The shortest verse in the Greek is First Thessalonians 5, 17. You're welcome for the three Bible nerds in here. One word for pray without ceasing. But his humanity was real and he didn't grab onto that he experienced pain. He experienced sadness. He experienced betrayal. He experienced all that we're experiencing. He didn't limit any of that. And, and I think we, we see perversion both ways in, in church and those outside of the church or near the church. They want to elevate the humanity of Jesus to lower the divinity of Jesus, which we cannot do. Other people want to lift the divinity, the godness of Jesus, 
and limit the humanity of Jesus because they can't handle the fact that Jesus also suffered under temptation. I want to say in order for us to truly increasingly year after year love and value and treasure Jesus is to press into both realities. He had to become human and limit his godness for our rescue. He had to be 100% divine because all humanity is broken because of sin. And so when he entered into that manger, born into a barn, he did so in obedience to the Father. Paul here talks about, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. That doesn't mean that he let go of all godness. What it meant is that Jesus didn't hold on to those things, but rather poured himself out, gave himself up, willingly entered into this life and the struggles and the hardship and suffering by taking the form of a servant. Pride is a reality for us all. I remember I started a pressure washing business when I lived in Brenham, was helping start a church there, and I was working on my master's degree. People who were hiring me to pressure wash their homes did not understand that I was actually educated. And so there were times they would speak down to me as a lesser person. And I wanted to tell them, hey, I'm a pastor, and I'm working on a master's degree. Don't you understand? I'm not as low as you're treating me right now. But man, it was good for my soul. It was good for my soul to experience that, to not be valued by the way that I thought I should be valued, or that I was valued by people who knew the full story around who I was. Jesus entering into his humanity, many did not see or understand that he was in fact God. They didn't see, understand, accept, or follow the fact that he was the Savior. They didn't treasure him the way he deserved to be treasured. They didn't look upon him with the respect, reverence, and joy that they should. In fact, many hated him. Many were scheming to destroy him. Many betrayed him. Yet he endured and kept going and persevered. Taking the form of a slave, a servant. Not to be served, but to serve. So when we talk to you as members of Christ Community Church about living a life of sacrifice, by being generous with your time and serving, by giving joyfully and freely financially, we're not doing so just to line our pockets. We're doing so that you might enjoy the intimacy with Christ by knowing and following and living into that humanity. Where you no longer have to find definition by all that you do but you can find definition and meaning and identity by whose you are. And therefore, you don't have to take on jobs or tasks or strive for achievement based upon outside things, but rather because you're owned by God through Jesus, you can then serve joyfully, sacrificially, not for the praise of man or to earn anything else from God, but because you've been given God himself. Taking the mind like Christ taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This, this King Jesus, this treasure that's been given, the ultimate eternal gift that's been given, humbled himself. Now, 
We all can eat some humble pie occasionally. There's this phrase that's actually quite liberating called, I was wrong, I'm sorry. That many of us would nearly almost rather die than say those things. But with God's help, His Spirit helps us to grow in humility, to be able to humble ourselves, to not have to speak up every time we notice something's off or when we know that we're right. We, we grow in humility. But, but look at the extent to which Jesus, God, went in this humility, in this obedience. Listen, the only reason I can talk about obedience in 2017 is not because like, I've earned your love and trust and we love being told to be obedient. In fact, when the, the, my first learning of the word obedient was with commercials in the late 80s and early 90s for Man's Best Friend. If you grew up in the Houston area, you remember those commercials of how they trained your sweet German shepherd into a killer. And it was dog obedience. And so for the longest time, I had a mental block of the idea of obedience because I'm like, that's what dogs do. But this understanding of obedience isn't just doing what you're told. It's walking into an understanding that there is authority over us that we lean into and we trust. We see the trust of Jesus for his Father by humbling himself as he was called to do. We see him growing in his trust by leaning into obedience of dying a horrible death, even a death on a cross. In the Old Testament, one of the sayings is when you see Paul emphasize even death on a cross... And Deuteronomy teaches that cursed is any man who is hung on a tree. So it wasn't just a death on a, on a cross. It was a curse. Christ humbled himself, fully God, fully man, to become a curse. Not just dead, but he, he was cursed. For all that deserved to be cursed by God, through Christ became a curse so that those who trust in Jesus will be blessed. So when it talks about Jesus being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, he's saying to that place he went, to that place of isolation and severity and brutality and grief and isolation and utter loneliness, he went so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. Therefore, because of this, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That there's a, a victory message at the end of this humanity. The point of becoming a curse would have been a sad story, but the great news of the advent of Jesus is that he died, but he rose again. And in that death and in that resurrection, he defeated sin, death, and Satan. He provided a way for you and I to place our hope and trust alone in the humble Lord Jesus who took on flesh, who died, and who rose so that we could be accepted. And if that's not enough, there's more. Jesus is able to fully understand the struggles and needs of all humanity. Well, why? See, I think a lot of us view Jesus as either like the, the cool older brother that buys you beer and don't tell mom kind of guy. It's like, look, just 
it's cool. Or they view Jesus as a severe dictator who's mad at you every time you sin because he died for that, and he's mad at you, right? That, that's kind of how people understand Jesus. I don't believe that's biblical or he's either of those things. But that's how like, we experience him. Like He's permissive. He's like, hey, do, what you, do you, boo. Like, that, that's what we believe about Jesus. Or that he's just so mad that he had to die for that too. That's neither. The humanity of Jesus shows us he comes in in a way that God near us and God with us is a sympathizing God who understands the best thing for us is God himself. And that because of sin separating us, that righteousness and holiness and obedience brings joy in God, not separation, not isolation. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, towards the back of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, the writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This takes a step further. God with us. God with us is a God, Jesus, who was made into flesh, fully God, fully man. The God in creation entered into time and space and history to bring propitiation, meaning payment for sin. To not put sin aside, but directly go head on and deal with it once and for all. And in that payment for sin, he doesn't just come, do the right thing, and then move on to the next thing. He comes in and he experiences. He lives. He has joy and fear and sorrow. Then, the purpose in this is so that the believers, us, the body of Christ, have a high priest who isn't far and separated and, and dictating from afar, from old ancient texts, how we should be, but rather we have a God who is near, who is with us, who understands. This is an important point that was emphasized even further in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The humanity of Jesus is necessary not only for the sacrificial payment for redemption, but also as a grace for our ability to connect with God. To understand when it says God with us isn't just God is with us to control us, God is with us to give us permission to do what we want, God is with us to do these things. No, none of those things. God is with us to relate with us, to restore us, to redeem us, to invite us to more of who He is. The eternal, all lasting, all powerful God became flesh to live and to understand and to endure. To be tempted in all ways, yet without sin. He remained perfect so that he could be a sacrifice, but he endures temptation. 
You hear me talk about it before, but Christians, I'm sick of us talking about why I didn't feel a peace. Things that are arbitrary that you, your freedom to do or not to, fine. Feel a peace, don't feel a peace. But many people don't feel a peace about things that are just a matter of obedience. Jesus did not feel a peace in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood because the grief was so deep and so real and so shattering and so consequential that he knew it wouldn't just be a 24-hour brutality and death. It would be the eternal wrath of God towards all sin poured out on the person of Jesus on the cross. On matters of obedience, peace or not, obedience is key, not your peace. When you go for your peace on matters of obedience, then what you're saying is my feelings are more important than God the Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer, than what He says and tells us to do. I'm not mad at you. I got a little noisy. But I just want you to know I'm not angry. But I just want us to, to realize the nearness of our God. Because when we begin to understand how God became flesh, how Jesus Christ is still alive, that His Holy Spirit is in us and with us and near us, that the Spirit of Christ compels us, that we don't have to walk through this life, good, bad, or otherwise, alone or in isolation, that we're able to then resist the devil and believe that he will flee from us, as James says in James 4. That God is near. God is with us. That the humanity of Jesus is necessary for the rescue of mankind. To ignore the humanity of Jesus is to dishonor God because we're ignoring the character and nature of God. And as we begin to cherish and celebrate the great gift that's been given to us, we then begin to find that sin and temptation doesn't have the same grip it used to. That greed no longer is as enticing or comforting. That our, our, our need for security isn't held up so much about what we see in the bank account or where we live or what we have or what we don't have, but our security is found in the God who became flesh. That when we grieve, we're able to grieve differently. doesn't mean we don't grieve. doesn't mean that we don't feel but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but grieve as those who trust and understand that the grave is empty. So that as we focus on the fact that the humanity of Jesus is necessary for the rescue of mankind, we can celebrate. We can celebrate the fact that Jesus has been around from the beginning, that Jesus has willingly embraced his humanity at the limitation of his divinity. We can celebrate that Jesus is able to fully understand the struggles and need of all humanity. Hey, I want you to try this. Next time you are in a fight with your spouse and it's just getting better and better, sarcasm implied, like feelings and thoughts and phrases you've never thought of before just come to you all of a sudden. God is with you. And he's inviting you to more of him, either by severe rephrasing or the joy of silence. The next time you're looking at your bank account or your savings account and God's calling you to be obedient, but you're scared, God is with you. The next time God is calling you to take a risk, but your fear is crippling you, then remember the truth of God's word that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. God is with us. God came near. 
the aim of Christmas isn't behaving well the last quarter of the year to get the fat bearded guy excited about bringing you stuff. The aim of Christmas is that God is with us. He is the light of the world, that he is the source of life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, that he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb, that he is the ultimate liberator, that he is the greatest counselor, that he is the most full comforter, that he is the greatest provider and protector and securer. And when moments come, rather than walk out of here feeling guilt because maybe those things aren't real yet, is come with agreement of what God already knows. That's what confession is. Say, God, I don't view you that way. I find my security in the bank account or who I'm married to or where I work or what I have or how my kids behave. Wherever you're looking for functional saviors, may Christmas be a season that you're invited just to be honest. God with us, the nearness of God, He's the light, therefore darkness can't overcome it. Begin living as if God really is with us because He is. And as we, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then there's no room for darkness to remain. And so my prayer, that the liberation of confession would be a part of our Christmas season. God, I don't believe you're with us. Or I'm not living like you're with us. Or God, I'm scared, or whatever. And find people in your community to pray with and to confess to that Christmas might really be the incarnation of the reality of the humanity of Jesus in your life. That he's a high priest, a representative, a mediator that you can go to, be honest with. He died for it, so he wants to redeem it and wants to bring liberation for you and to you. God is with us. He entered into time and space as a form of a baby, grew up to become a grown man, worked with his hands, knew his father, suffered well, died well, and rose again. King Jesus he entered into time and space. He is a God that's still alive. He's a God that's with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for King Jesus. We thank you for that great gift. And Lord, we pray as we center in on and uh, go through this season. God, my prayer for myself and for our church family, um, for the body of Christ, would be that we would just grow in awareness rather than try to avoid and not pay attention to areas that were missing joy in you, that we would identify those areas. And God, just at least begin to agree with you that, hey, I'm missing you here, God. And I believe, Lord, as light shines in the darkness, darkness cannot remain. And so, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name for you to bring liberation, for you to restore our joy, for you to have our hope elevated to you. I pray for any man, woman, or child that's in this room today that has not yet placed their hope and trust in the person and work of Jesus that you would help him or her to realize before a perfect and holy God who is true, who created all things, that they are imperfect. And that's why they need Jesus, fully God, fully man. That's why they need to hope in his life and his death, his resurrection and his future return for the forgiveness of his or her sin. I pray that you give them the gift of faith that would help them to trust and hope and revere you. Father, I thank you for the gift of the deacons that you've brought to our church. I know you're raising up many other men and women to serve in that capacity, Lord, that we might do the work of ministry that those in our area and beyond who have yet to realize that God is with us, that they will come to know you by your grace. So Lord, this Christmas season, help us to live in the reality that God, you're with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.